Today on the Bill Kelly Show on 900 CHML. Talking about gut-wrenching and emotional. Yesterday, of course, uh, was the, uh, the bail hearing for Paul Bernardo uh, up in Bath, Ontario, uh, near the penitentiary in which he has uh, been for the last little while. Uh, as we know now, as you we heard reported, and everybody seems to know by now, of course, parole was denied. But uh, going through a situation like that had to be just gut-wrenching. Paul Bernardo, uh, of course, uh, convicted of uh, killing Kristen French and Leslie Mahaffey, was denied Paul, parole. Rather. Susan Claremont, uh, award-winning uh, j- journalist with the Hamilton Spectator, was there uh, for the uh, hearing yesterday, and she joins us on the Bill Kelly Show to talk about that. Susan, thanks so much for the time. I know it's a busy day for you. It's uh, breaking news about Bajero and this, and let's uh, let's talk a little bit about your experience yesterday at, at Bath, Ontario. Yeah, it was uh, it, w- it was a big day. Um, you know, this case, the the Bernardo case, um, it's been 25 years, and for those of us who are of a certain age, Bill, and um, you know, remember uh, all of that, it's it, it hits very close to home for a lot of people. This this case, um, it was really a, a turning point for a lot of Canadians. Well, listen, if, and I'm glad you brought that up because I, I remember, I, geez, I remember talking to the family members on the show and we weren't quite sure what was going on. And I remember the billboard ads, look for this car, because they thought at that time it was a gold-colored sports car that they were looking for. Uh, the, this whole of Southern Ontario was was just uh, you know on edge because they didn't know what happened to these girls. They didn't know what was going on, etc. And uh, it was slow to get information. I mean, it was a very troubling time, uh, which of course culminated with the trial, and then of course there was the plea bargain that, that came into this. Uh, boy, I don't know that we ever. I, I the families, I know, and we'll talk about them in a couple of seconds, Susan. But I don't think anybody's ever going to get over that. That lived through that experience. No, I don't think so either. I think for for most of us there is some kind of personal element to it. It may not be that, that we um, directly knew anybody involved, but, you know, for example, I was a, I was a university student um, when the Scarborough rapist was attacking women there, and I remember talking to my, my housemates at university who were girls from Scarborough, and they talked about how, you know, their parents wouldn't let them anywhere alone because of, of the fear surrounding the rates. So I think for many of us, we have we feel like we have a personal connection to what happened. So with that in mind, and, and just to set the scene in that fashion, and, and I think everybody probably that was there yesterday, and including the families, uh, in varying degrees, of course, uh, still carry some of the scars from this. So explain, now you were not actually in the room for the hearing, were you? No, this was different from any other parole hearing I've attended, um, likely because of the, the large volume of media who were um, wanting to be there. So normally I'm in the same room as the offender and you know the families or the victims. Uh, this time uh, Bernardo stayed at his prison, which is Millhaven, a maximum security prison, uh, and he was in a room with the members of the parole board and members of the Mahaffey and French families and uh, a woman who was one of his rape victims. Uh, the media, we were next door at Bath Institution, which is a medium security prison, and we were watching it all by video. Somebody asked me this morning, how come there's no tw- Twitter activity? Uh, usually there are updates, as, as you did with some of the major trials. You weren't allowed to, were you? 
No, there's very strict rules about what you can take into a prison. Um, they did bend the rules somewhat for the media yesterday, and uh, we were sort of um, given use of a of a sally port of a garage, basically, um, for camera equipment and, and phones and that sort of thing. But once we went into the prison proper and into the room where we watched the hearing, um, pen and paper, that was all we were allowed. It's a, a throwback, I guess, for a lot, an awful lot of you. Uh, couldn't remember how to do cursive, I guess. Uh, how did how did it proceed? Now we we know about the victim impact statements and some very powerful words uh, from the from the both families that were involved in this. Yeah, from both families as well as the woman who was yeah. uh, one of his rape victims. So the hearing started with. Um, uh, with those victim impact statements, uh, which had to be written beforehand and vetted by the Parole Board of Canada, um, something that uh, always makes me angry, um, that the words that the, the victims are, are actually edited. Um, but they were powerful nonetheless. Um, you know, all three women who spoke, it was the two moms yeah. and, the, and the rape victim, talked about how they've never recovered, how, how their lives have been uh, changed forever, how every day is a struggle, how they have worked so hard over the past 25 years to try and do some healing, and how this parole hearing yesterday um, just ripped open all those wounds. The texts uh, of those two presentations, of course, are all over social media right now, and it's, uh, I, I tell you, it's, it's, it's very difficult to read and not get emotional, isn't it? Yeah, and you and you were there listening to it as it was being read. Yeah, it's it's absolutely heart wrenching. Um, you know, uh, the part that really got me was when um, Leslie Mahaffey's mom spoke about her son, who was just seven when his sister was kidnapped and murdered, and um, you know has lived his whole life knowing um, knowing her fate. Um, it, it just you know, terrible things um, that I don't think, you know, society will ever get over. Well, the family broke up, uh, you know, the, the marriage broke up. Uh, she's, uh, Debbie mentioned, I guess, in her impact statement that she's still suffering PTSD. And of course, that has an impact on every facet of her life, doesn't it? Absolutely. Um, you know, the, the rape victim talked about how the, she's a mom now and how she fears all the time um, for her child's safety. Um, it, you know, it, it just keeps going and going and going 25 years afterwards, and it will never, ever end. One of the more powerful statements from Debbie Mahaffey yesterday that even this the, the hearing that you were at yesterday allows Bernardo to abduct our beautiful memories uh, of uh, of the girls and and uh, it it just I think brings home just how crushing this is it it does reopen wounds I know that just sounds like a cliche but these are people that have been living it for twenty five years absolutely I mean you know and when you think about how these hearings are set up and you know. The Mahaffey family, the French family, and, and the victim, they are sitting in a very small room with Paul Bernardo. You know, it's not a courtroom. There are no um, barriers between them and, and Bernardo. He's sitting at a table just feet away from them. And they have to listen to him talk virtually uninterrupted for hours. 
about um, what a great guy he is, about how he's changed, about things that he did to his victims. They're having to sit there and listen to all of this while waiting to find out if he's going to be allowed his freedom. The word we got out before this started yesterday, Susan, from the lawyer that was representing Bernardo said that uh, that he was remorseful for this. And, and I think some of us had anticipated, since they're going to be in the same room, that there might have been some dialogue or might have been some statement from Bernardo to the families. Did that happen? No. No, he he never offered any kind of direct apology to anybody. Uh, what he did say is that he cries every day um, because of what he did. He, he actually said that many, many times throughout the hearing. But it was unclear to me whether he is crying because he is genuinely remorseful for what he did. Um, and I don't think that's the case. I think he cries because um, he doesn't like being in prison and he feels sorry for himself. And at one point he actually said, um, you know, it's, it's really hard being me, being Paul Bernardo in prison. That's, that's really tough. And, you know, there were moments like that throughout the hearing where he said the most callous, absurd, um, uh, maddening things. And the room full of media that I was with, I mean, we weren't actually in the hearing room. I mean, there were times when people were laughing, um, not because it was funny, but because it, it was just, we were so incredulous. We just could not believe the things that he was saying. Well, incredulous uh, that he would have the, the nerve to actually do this. And by the way, to his point, I saw that this morning, too, and I thought, I'm sure the French and Mahaffey families cry every day, too. Uh, for much Absolutely. for much different reasons, but I, I was struck by and, and Bernardo's attempt from from what I've seen the the transcripts of this uh, yesterday, Susan, that he almost tried to paint himself as a victim. Yeah, so um, he talked about why he did the things that he did, and he says that um, it was because of low self esteem. He talked about how as a child he was. He was born tongue-tied, which is a, a, a genuine medical condition where um, uh, a, a baby's tongue doesn't work properly. And uh, up until the age of seven, Bernardo says that nobody could understand what he was saying until he had um, a medical procedure and therapy and, and was able to talk properly. And he said that that experience um, ruined him for life. And... Uh, he had low self-esteem, and the only way he could boost his self-esteem, boost was the word he used, was to rape and kill women. Which I, I find just remarkable that he'd actually have the audacity to talk about that. Uh, I, I, you know, there are, you're right, it's a, a valid medical condition, and, and it doesn't happen very often. Uh, but from my understanding, and I'm only doing this anecdotally, uh, the people that do have that, and there is a medical procedure to fix it, uh, don't often turn into rapists. I mean, but he tries to draw that connection and say, "Well, that my medical condition drove me to do this." Yeah, yeah there had to be a lot of just, uh, there had to be a lot of eyes rolling in your room when that was said. Yeah, it's it's just complete BS. And um, I mean, he is a diagnosed psychopath. I mean, uh, like an off the scale diagnosed psychopath. Um, you know, he, he says that uh, he sh wanted to assure the public that he's all better now 
and um, is is no cause for concern that he would never hurt anybody. In fact, he talked about how he's a nice guy. He wakes up every morning in prison and he's pleasant to everybody and um, we have nothing to be afraid of. But one of the first things, and we've learned far more about psychopaths than we probably want to because of the high level and, and the high uh, profile of some of the people that have been you know, going on trial in the last little while, is they take no responsibility for their actions. And judging from Bernardo's comments yesterday, he still doesn't. He still doesn't. Um, he is extremely manipulative. Um, one of the things that I, I thought was interesting was, um, you know, we've often heard uh, Bernardo described as being fairly intelligent, um, and you know his former wife Carla Homolka, um also described as fairly intelligent. But I didn't see any of that yesterday, and it actually raised speculation amongst the journalists about what um, 25 years of solitary confinement does to a person. Um, Bernardo couldn't really form a proper sentence. Um, he was scattered. He made very little sense most of the time, these long, rambling speeches that he gave. Um, but I think as far as his, his psychology uh, goes, I think it's really important for people to understand that there, there is no cure for psychopathy. Someone who is a psychopath is always a psychopath. There is no treatment for it. There is no cure for it. I was struck by one of the other comments he made, too. As you just mentioned, Susan, he was complaining about being, in, in for all intents and purposes, uh, by himself there in solitary. Uh, but said when he does have human contact, uh, the other people ridicule him, uh, which uh, I guess underscores what we've talked about in the past, that there's a, a quote-unquote justice system within prisons, too, isn't there? There is, and I would expect that he is the lowest of the low. Um, his notoriety, his... Um, sex crimes is preying on on children um, that would not make him popular with other inmates. Uh, a lot of people breathing a sigh of relief when we found out that after just 30 minutes the the panel decided to deny his parole uh, but he we could go through this whole thing again on two years I understand. Yeah so uh, the way the rules work is once the offender uh, has his first hearing which was at Bernardo's request um, now it sort of starts this cycle of um, having a new hearing every two years. So that means that the French and Mahaffey families and all of the other victims um, will go through this again in 2020. It is the system, and uh, it uh, can be good and it can be ugly, and I think we saw maybe a little bit of both yesterday. Uh, great reporting on this, too. It's a great piece. Bernardo denied parole. in today's Hamilton Spectator. Susan, thanks as always. Appreciate the time today. Thanks very much, Bill. Take care. The Bill Kelly Show, weekdays from 9 to noon on 900 CHML.